Nutrition Reviews, Conversations with the Authors, published by Oxford University Press. This month, I have the pleasure of speaking with Ino der Heiden and Benjamin Wall from the Department of Sport and Health Sciences in the College of Life Environmental Sciences at the University of Exeter in the United Kingdom. They wrote, along with their colleagues, a review on alternative dietary protein sources to support healthy and active skeletal muscle aging. I found this review to be extremely interesting because it clearly provided a story about how we have to have a holistic approach to physical activity, diet, metabolism, aging, and the ecosystem. The presentation covers the importance of not only the amino acid composition of protein, but the nature of their bioavailability from different protein sources. The review of proteins from plants, fungus, insects, algae, and synthetic meats provide great examples for how we must study the potential anabolic roles of different protein sources, not only for human health, but also to have an environmental approach to diets to reduce anabolic resistance and muscle loss. I'm not going to say much more about the paper because I encourage everyone to read it. I'm sure that our conversation will bring light to what drew these authors to writing this paper and how we'll stimulate future research to improve healthy aging as we have more people around the world who are now reaching their eighth, ninth, and 10th decades of life. Eno and Benjamin, Welcome to Nutrition Review's podcast, Conversations with the Authors. And let's start off with Eno. Um, and please tell us something about yourself. Where do you work? What got you interested in nutrition, protein metabolism, and even aging in the environment as fields of study? Because this was such a comprehensive paper. Um, yes, first of all, thank you very much for, for inviting us um, on this podcast. Um, so I'm, my name is Eno. I am a PhD student in the Nutritional Physiology Research Group at the University of Exeter. And uh, my PhD is focused on the effects of dietary protein on muscle metabolism in both young, but also in older individuals. And then I'm specifically looking into the roles of different types of dietary proteins on this muscle uh, metabolism process um, or different um, types of foods, foods and food interaction of protein on, on aging and how we can use um, such protein sources uh, to stimulate the, the growth of muscle tissue um, on short term, but also uh, for more longer adaptive responses. That's really interesting. Um, there are lots of questions I have about the paper. Now, if you exercise in one place, does that muscle stimulation work in another part of your body? Uh, I worked out this morning. I'm trying to figure out what's happening with my muscle metabolism right now as I'm recovering from my exercise. And so maybe Ben, um, you can tell us something about your position at the university. And, and I know you've had a long-term uh, career looking at, at protein metabolism. Yeah, just to echo what Ina said, thanks ever so much for inviting us, Douglas. It's, it's, it's really nice to actually do a bit of an alternative approach to the paper to accompany it. Um, yeah, uh, we, we embarked on, on this a, a couple of years ago. I've got to say it was um, probably stimulated along by you know, having quite a lot of time at home during the pandemic to actually get the proper <laughs> literature review done, which may account for why it's quite comprehensive. Um, but we, we were interested in um, uh, uh, applying uh, 
what we, we saw as a bit of a paradox in the literature, which back when I was a, a postdoc and working in, uh, in Maastricht University, um, we spent a lot of time looking at what, 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 how adults, as they get older, handle dietary protein. And uh, our research group, which was, which was led by Luke Van Loon in Maastricht at the time, but other research groups around the world were, were showing that older adults were increasingly finding it difficult to use dietary protein to stimulate the growth of muscle tissue. So we made quite a lot of advances about when we should eat protein, how much we should eat, um, and perhaps neglected where that protein should come from. And then we, we saw almost coming from a different angle, if you like, uh, the sort of more social and, and government pressing issues about where protein should be coming from in terms of all the sustainability issues that we face. So it seemed a, a bit of a kind of um, a collision of ideals that was occurring. And it seemed that it would be quite helpful at this stage to lay out what we knew about where we can get protein from and what we really know about what types of protein we can select to support the healthy muscle aging of of the older adult. So that was where we started with the project really. And um, it, it dovetailed very nicely with some of the experiments that Eno was already undertaking um, in terms of primary data collection for his PhD. So it was a nice adjunct to, to Eno's PhD as well. Uh, that's really interesting. And we can get into the specific research Eno's doing later on um, as, as he continues his career. But um, I suspect, you know, that part of this was a literature review to help you prepare for your doctoral degree and to really get a good understanding uh, of the literature before you did your own research, which I think is instrumental when people do any research, even um, seasoned uh, investigators need to go back to the literature and make sure we know what's happening before we start off on a research project. But um, was there a specific reason you took this approach to this paper? Um, you could have just focused on the protein itself. So um, why did you write the paper the way you did? Yeah, this is a very good question, actually. And, and, and indeed, it, it also helped me to get my doctoral degree to write such um, a comprehensive um, um, research, research article. Um, and I think a bit of like what Ben highlighted, we just felt there was a, it was a need to, to do it this way. And I think um, um, by reviewing it such comprehensive in a, such a comprehensive way, um, we were able to 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 gather all um, the required available data that was that was available, and therefore um, um, accumulate accumulate that and and to to really see where the gaps would be, and that subsequently then then translates a little bit to, into my own work and as well as my colleagues, where we just try and 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 answer some of those research gaps that are clearly out there. Um, with respect to protein um, and also aging. So when you wrote the paper, I mean, we can summarize some of the findings that you have found, but what were the things that were also surprising to you when you wrote the paper, um, both in what we know and what we don't know? I mean, there, there must have been something there that, oh, I didn't know this before, because there was lots of things I didn't know until I read your paper. Yeah, I think I think a good example would be we're obviously not an environmental um, um, specialist, but a good example would be that that was to me at least was where it was a bit like um, to the unknown, and and that surprises me that that even we often speak about animal protein or plant protein, but how 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 it actually um, is a bit more nuanced with, with with its environmental impact and and how much protein how protein is produced in what way and um, and also then when we look at like, for example, considering different, the amount of protein within a protein, within a food source. Um, and then I think of 
often what we often tend to do is that we just look at animal or plant protein and we tend to neglect or forget about other alternatives and that was a little bit an eye-opener for me that there's there's more than just plants and animals um, so i found that very very interesting and very useful so one of the things and maybe um, ben you can, you can talk a little bit about this is the difference in the digestibility of the different non-animal source proteins that uh, clearly there must be some composition of the food itself and not just the amino acid composition of the proteins uh, that affect their uh, absorption, I mean, digestion and the, clearly absorption afterwards. Um, is, is there any way for a lay person to sort of look at a food and sort of understand what the digestibility of that protein might be, or is it really having to go to these formulas that are presented in the paper? Yeah, again, it's, it's a, a good question on the translation for, for what people take from, from the work, because mm -hmm. um, I suppose I'll just take one step back and say that one of the things that we, we always have to caveat when we discuss the deep, deeper metabolism of these issues is how many of these studies are done in a manner that the layperson might find um, unsatisfactory in terms of translating it to their daily diet. So mm -hmm. the most obvious example I have here is so many of the studies are just done on isolated protein sources to understand the role of the protein per se. Um, very few people eat protein as isolated protein sources. And even if they do, it's, it's, it's once or twice a day, not all their protein. Um, so even, even with that in mind, the, the, the best way that we can judge the quality of a protein is still um, a, a, an index, a PDCAS or a DAS, um, which gives us an indication of the quality of protein that somebody's taking. Um, uh, and I think it's not a bad starting point. Um, I think one of the one of the nice bits that we got into in the paper is discussing the utility, but ultimately the limitations of that approach. And actually how, when you actually move from an isolated protein to all the variety of proteins that, that have been outlined earlier in the discussion, but also their presence within a whole food. So as you point out, you know, if you take a plant-based protein, typically that is contained in a, a food matrix that might be more fibrous, um, more phytonutrients, um, in turn, that's things like um, higher fiber in the diet will create different metabolites in the circulation compared to um, the typical presence of, of, of fat moieties with, with animal-based proteins. And we do know that some of these things interact either positively or negatively on um, amino acid absorption or, or subsequent protein metabolism. Um, but we, we, in all honesty, know a lot less about the detail about whether these are good or bad things. And that was one of the points that, that I think, you know, um, diligently got into in the paper which is that's why we need the data because we are going to be asked these questions increasingly which is if we're going to live healthier older lives um sorry healthier lives as older adults then we are going to have to decide where that protein is going to come from and try to fit this in with the movement towards um a reliant a lesser reliance on animal protein so i hope that one of the things that the paper has done is point out what we do know, but importantly, that we need a lot more information in this space. Uh, absolutely, there's definitely a scene in what I saw in the paper was what we don't know. Lots of questions you raised, this is where research should be going. Um, given that we don't know a lot about this and you, you sort of think about the dietary sources of protein, um, how has this maybe changed your own diets as you eat and what you're thinking about? Now, both of you are not that old, and you aren't being close to where you have to worry about sarcopenia yet. I'm sure you both are very active too. But has, has this review and your studies of protein 
change the way you, you look at diet and what you eat? And my next question would be, have you tried all these different protein sources of algae, fungus, insects, lab-based meats? Have you actually gone out and tested each of one of them yourself? Um, yeah, if, if, if I can start with that. Um, I, I think on, on, a, on a personal diet, um, I would say definitely, I realize definitely that, that like what the way we currently the food production or the protein production systems is just not a a, a lifelong sustainable uh, way to secure um, a safe food future and i think especially in combination with with the growing aging populations and um, that we i realized that we really should consider um some of these alternatives and and um yeah in terms of the alternatives that we discuss or we mention um the most most of them we have tried and we have we are um, ongoingly investigating um the effects of these alternative protein sources on muscle metabolism and part of that is indeed that we um we need to try them ourselves as well and um <laughs> yeah there's been some uh, some interesting um <laughs> findings on that <laughs> <laughs> do you have a favorite <laughs> well, that's a tough question. Um, I, I, I would say that it's variable. There's some, there's some alternative proteins that are quite well processed and there are, there's a lot of like products already available on the market and there's others that are really um, new and really still in the pipeline that needs a lot of like food development. And I think that's also one of the points we try to highlight in the paper that it's not just about physiology, it's also about that we work together with different experts in the field. For example, um, people on food processing, to to yeah to, to work on on certain aspects that we can incorporate such new foods or alternative foods into our diet. And Ben, have, how about your diet? Have you changed your diet based on these papers or the types of protein sources you seek out at the grocery store? Um, I think the, the simple answer to that is yes. Um, I, I definitely. Uh, I, I discovered a couple of years ago that the name for an individual like me, which is a, a flexitarian or a reducitarian. Um, so I, I have to say, I went from a, when I was an, an undergraduate student, it was about, I wanted to eat as much meat and dairy as I could. Um, I thought that was the only way to live and, and the only way to gain muscle and, and train hard and be a sportsman. And I will just caveat that with trying to persuade a Dutchman like Eno to reduce their dairy. Now that's, 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 <laughs> Um, but no, I mean, I, I several years ago, for various reasons, both kind of um, ethical, uh, environmental reasons, I had reduced my reliance on meat. Um, but I did want to know more about even if even if the ethical and sustainability issues hold water, does that have a knock on consequence for my physiology? So um, that, that the review itself gave me a much more holistic understanding of that. Um, in, in answer to your question about trying some of them. I think there's a there's a joke there's a there's a joke in there, but there's a serious point. And the joke is that some of them are are terrible. I mean, we've had we've had all all sorts of fun trying seaweeds, which we 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 just couldn't consume. Um, some of the algal other algal sources are better, um, but you have to you have to be quite um, aggressive in your flavouring of them and your masking of them to to make them experimental. And we always point out that in our experiments, we we're generally only feeding a single meal of this. Mm -hmm. So if a volunteer can consume it, we can investigate it, but embedding it within a diet would be a new challenge. And I, and I think that is the serious point. It, it, it goes back to a question you asked earlier about what we learned from this paper. And I think I gained a real appreciation, not just with this paper, but various other conversations about um, how myopic we all are in our own fields. 
because we can we can get a really good understanding both from reviewing the literature and doing original research on the nutritional physiology of how we handle these proteins but if something tastes disgusting we need so many different um, types of academic types of other stakeholders if we're going to actually make a, a policy change for example or a commercial pipeline and um, people and believe me the way that Eno's been uh, making up algae drinks people are not about to this is not about to take off as a protein shake for the general public well that's interesting it leads into some of my next questions before we finish up but, but I do think it was interesting for me to read about how concentrated some of the protein sources are in plants, especially when they're um, dehydrated or, or, or constructed in different ways that some plant proteins are now an animal source proteins. You're talking about 40 to 50% protein in some of those products, which I think is quite high, which makes it plausible, as you can say, to consume a, a protein diet that's not animal source. And what I think about, not with aging, but you do read a lot these days and listen to people who are um, outstanding athletes who are becoming more vegetarians or eating less meat themselves, which is sort of counter to what you have been told 40 years ago, if you were an athlete about protein and strength. Um, I, I, we're going to finish up pretty soon, but you know, what's your next steps? What, what are the types of studies that you are doing to study um, these different types of um, plant sources. Um, ben made a, um, sort of a, a thought about you must be doing some feeding trials where people are actually feed, consuming different foods and they must be measuring something afterwards. Can you tell us a little bit about the science that you're participating in now? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so, so our research is really focused on trying to unravel these these mechanistic uh, physiological understandings of, of such dietary protein sources. And, and we, we simply start these studies with, like, like you mentioned, just feed and bleed is what we call them, in which we just, in a very controlled environment, provide people with a single bolus of dietary protein, and then we subsequently take blood samples um, to measure whether the protein is digested, whether the amino acids are being absorbed. And if that's the case, we then take the next step and we can um, we use certain techniques in which we try and measure um, the incorporation of such proteins into new muscle tissue. Um, so we can directly see whether these proteins um, are able to build muscle um, on a short base. And, um, and, and if we then have evidence that this might work, we then try and incorporate this into more longer term trials in which we, for example, put people on certain diets and we can see um, daily um, um, turnover rates of skeletal muscle and whether this then ultimately might lead into adaptive changes such as um, uh, differences in muscle strength or muscle function. So it's basically starting from, from a very small bit um, up to a more a chronic phase which then provides us um, um, the whole picture of the viability of such an alternative protein. Um, so that's that's my, that's our current approach, and that's that's where we're working on at the moment. Well, that's wonderful. Um, well, I, I really thank both of you for taking time to speak with me today. I think you know you have a whole career ahead of you about this. If you're looking at a single day metabolism to how does that affect someone over thirty years, you're going to be able to study this and get cohorts of people to look at the long-term follow-up. You, you definitely are in an area that is of great importance. Um, because of the, the aging population in the world um, that's happening, especially in the uh, higher income countries too, where, we, where aging is occurring, but it's occurring everywhere too. 
So I want to thank both of you for spending um, this time with me. And I, I wish you the best with the, your future research. Thank you very thank much. You. Thanks, Douglas. I really appreciate you having us on. And um, yeah, thanking you for publishing the review. I think it's the right platform for it. Next month, we will continue to talk about protein, as I will have Janine Wirth and Lorraine Brennan from the Institute of Food and Health and the Conway Institute of Biomolecular and Biomedical Research at the University College Dublin. They wrote with their colleague, Elaine Hellestein, a systematic review and conducted a meta-analysis of randomized clinical trials on protein intake and its effect on sleep outcomes. Their review focused on 12 studies on if and how protein supplements affect sleep quality. It would be a good paper to read and a paper I would read before bedtime so I know if I should take supplements or not. Thank you for listening to this episode of Nutrition Reviews, Conversations with the Authors. The Nutrition Reviews podcast was produced and edited by Eric Healy at the Western Region Public Health Training Center studio at the University of Arizona Mel and Enid Zuckerman College of Public Health. Original music was created by Eli Ruiz. Funding for the podcast was provided by the International Life Sciences Institute. To get more updated information on nutrition, go to the journal's website at academic.oup.com slash nutrition reviews and subscribe to the podcast to be notified when the next episode is available. I'm Douglas Tarum. Thank you for spending some time with us.